Hello from all around the world, and welcome to the Crazy About Crypto Show, an interactive live podcast on Twitter Spaces for anyone exploring crypto and wanting to learn more from others that have already dived into the space. From NFT artists to savvy crypto investors to everyday people just like you and I, this is a place where we can come together and learn about this new wave of innovation. I know I say every show is going to be great, but as a collector and investor, today's guest is one of my role models and has quickly become one of the most iconic collectors in the NFT space. There isn't a big NFT art drop that he's not involved in the bidding for. The list of notable works in his collection could be a show in itself, but most recently, just this week, he won a bidding war for Trevor Jones' one-of-one piece, Ethereal. His winning bid, 150 Ethereum, or over 400,000 US dollars. These massive pickups have become normal, and he truly is changing the NFT space with his presence by supporting a wide range of artists every day. Barat, welcome to the Crazy About Crypto show. Hey, thanks, man. What an intro. Wow. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be a letdown from here. <laughs> no way. There's nothing that you can do that'll be a letdown because you truly have uh, been a changing force in the space. When I think of top collectors out there, there's really not many that compare. And I don't think there's anyone that would debate that. The, the amount of energy that you bring to all the artists in the NFT space is just amazing. So thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, I'm going to start with the same question that I always do in the podcast. And and that's just to spend a minute or two explaining your journey into crypto. Um, and you can kind of tell us how it evolved into NFTs if NFTs weren't your first dabble. But just give us a little backstory of what initially drew you into the crypto space. Yeah, hey, I think it started about the 2015, 2016 timeframe. And um, at the time, it was mainly getting into the currencies themselves, right? So Bitcoin was obviously, you know, a big attraction for me. And it, it's what kind of red-pilled me into crypto in the first place. And, uh, you know, after investing in Bitcoin for a year or so, then, you know, Ethereum came, um, you know, into play and just the usability um, and approach with which and the flexibility with which you could manipulate a smart contract and really drive utility really piqued my interest. Right. So mm -hmm. that became a very uh, deep rabbit hole that I, I immediately went down, which immediately got me into decentralized finance. Right. So this is about the period where we're transitioning from probably 20 17 to 2018 and uh, you know getting more into even the nft space right so uh, 2018 is when you know, DeFi was starting to really crank up towards the end of the year and you started to see a lot of nft art being dropped right um, there were some of course prior to 2018 as well in 2017 but you know in pockets right so it started to take more mainstream um, adoption if you will platforms like super rare came you know came to be known origin and others and um you know, the whole curatorial aspect of it started to drive a lot of interest, right? Both from one, the currency and just the transformation it could have on traditional finance and how decentralized finance and the Lego building blocks that were linked to it could really powerfully disrupt, you know, what is a very antiquated and, um, you know, stodgy old world system um, and really sort of make it fresh and new and, and fun again, right? So, the whole idea of being able to use these Lego blocks to build bigger, better uh, primitives was something that was really uh, of interest to me, right? So that then took me down the rabbit hole with NFTs, right? So I started buying in um, 2018, I would say, and then 2019, I really started buying, you know, uh, with a lot of uh, uh, fervor, right? So I got in, got my first X copy 
got uh, my first few hacks, uh, got a few coldies, right? So it was really jumping down that rabbit hole in probably 2019, Full Bear, Miss Al Simpson, right? Just the, the OGs of the time, if you will. Uh, the folks that were out there on Super Rare were limited, right? I mean, you had probably less than 25 or 30 artists at one point, right? So it was interesting to be able to sort of glean different styles and patterns of artists. And you could already see that DNA emerging, right? And some of these great, um, you know, old school, you know, top of the stack artists that we have that are digitally native, there was a clear pattern emerging among the works that they had. And that was pretty interesting to watch because then you could then figure out, you know, who's, who's, who's going to make it. Um, and of course it was still a big gamble, even though, you know, many of the purchases I made at the time were underneath, right? Think about that for a second, you know, picking up X copy for underneath, right? 0.65, picking up a hack for 0.75, right? Picking up a coldie for ETH, right? It was, it was just mind blowing when you look back at it, but that kind of, you know, really sort of brought me in. You know, I started looking at the other platforms as well, you know, went into known origin, you know, purchased there as well. started really using all of the different platforms, frankly. And it, you know, has ever since then, it's just become a complete black hole for me, sucking me completely in. Wow. Thanks for sharing the, basically the entire story. I think one thing that always fascinates me with people like myself that got into crypto more because of the uh, evolution of technology for currency and the potential that it has to revolutionize the way that we do finance in the world, um, how we operate. Uh, I think one thing that I always am curious about, you know, there are a lot of people that are into cryptocurrencies that really didn't ever make that transition to NFTs and still haven't. I think that we're still going to see a lot of those big players eventually show up. But uh, what was it about Bitcoin? Was it, and if you could maybe share a little bit of your background before you got into crypto that made you interested uh, in kind of the, this revolutionary technology? Yeah, I was in the finance space uh, mm -hmm. for a good long bit and uh, intersected with tech a good bit as well, right? And, you know, just some of, you know, when you look at, you know, global government policies and you look at, you know, just wars and, you know, all of the, the challenges that we face, um, you know, in the world are, are pretty much driven by, you know, poor fiscal and financial policy, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, you know, having some kind of a globally standard currency that was decentralized, that allowed for borderless approaches for people to interact with each other, right, without a middleman and a rent seeker was a, a pretty powerful catalyst, right? So that was one of the driving factors for me. Um, obviously, when you start to look at then, you know, Ethereum and what has happened with decentralized finance, the ability to take a traditional product and completely decentralize it and, you know, allow for people to invest in the success of that platform and benefit from it from the ground up versus having to, you know, be a part of a venture capital firm that is investing, you know, with all of their sort of VC bros. You had this opportunity to get in on the ground floor, right? And just make a bet on a developer or a set of developers, yeah. which was super powerful, right? Because then you had an alpha advantage versus, you know, the person who had to be an accredited investor to go make a bet on, you know, some company that was being launched. Um, that required you to be very capitalized. You know, I really love that you mentioned that because the timing of that comment uh, is is uh, appropriate for what's kind of happened into the NFT space with Three Arrows Capital buying a ton of punks. It's almost, um, people forget that when you get into something in crypto early, you're, you're able to front run institutions, which has never been um, something that we really have seen um, in the financial industry before and can really be a, a th 
thing that can uh, be a wealth transfer, a generational wealth transfer for people um, that see the potential in it. Yeah, bang on, right? I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> it, it is crazy how, uh, you know, research, following the right people, right, doing just tireless amounts of analytics and analysis of trends and, you know, kind of big open spaces, you know, areas that there is a bunch of friction in the physical world and traditional world, and how that can be broken down in crypto is pretty impressive and amazing, right? And three hours capital, by the way, I was a DeFi bro before I came into NFTs, right? So I spent a lot of time working with a lot of the platforms, investing in many of the platforms. Um, so I myself, I'm, I'm a con convert, right? I, I do both. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I continue to invest and it's part of my yield strategy. But, um, you know, Three Arrows Capital is a fantastic exemplar for this because, you know, some of their early bets were, you know, pretty, you know, significant DeFi companies, right? There were big Bitcoin believers for a long time. They then sort of got into Ethereum. Then they started actually investing in protocol, mm, right? So, yeah. um, you know, uh, a whole bunch of them, right? Per protocol, you know, uh, Woonomics, right? A whole series of them that they've invested in to actually grow the ecosystem at large, right? So they're very, very forward thinking, you know, very much crypto native, if you will, as far as, um, you know, investment firms go. So huge fan of Sue and all of the work that uh, him and, um, you know, his partner do. Yeah, um, I just think it's fascinating to kind of see that evolution. I mean, I'm in the same boat a lot later, though. You started seeing the potential and the power of NFT, NFTs really early on. I mean, to think, uh, like you said, um, you know, the Fawocious and, you know, the X copies and Hackatow, just like being in, be able to be in and um i've been trying to for a long time i was trying to get a pod mork from hackatow and i just eventually was like you know what i've got to admit to myself i'm way too late to have the opportunity but you know it was something i if i would have realized the potential in a year ago i could have got one for a couple hundred dollars and after talking with uh after talking with them and trying to see what it would cost me now it'd be over almost a hundred thousand dollars to get one it's just like when you're able to believe in someone and something it's almost like you are their seed investor and when you're in nfts it's really cool because it's uh you're able to almost help and see the power of an individual creating something instead of just a company and i think that's kind of the cool aspect of the culture that's being developed around nfts that's just not the same that we probably felt with um decentralized finance and cryptocurrencies and the ico craze it felt a lot more detached like like you said spending hours a night reading white papers papers doing research and now it's almost like you you have a lot more fun because it's uh it's almost a cultural thing that's changing in this aspect yeah that's bang on and and you can see some you can see some er very early patterns in some of the greatest artists right i mean you know i mentioned some of the 2018 2019 artists but he was is great right i'm glad you bring victor up right uh -huh. i mean just the dna that goes through every piece of work that he makes, right? And the amount of time and effort and energy that goes into each of those pieces, it's pretty clear, right? You can see the pain, you can feel the pain, and you can see the passion kind of go through all of the strands, right? And that's what I tell artists too, you know, as they're sort of thinking about building their brand identity and how they look at, um, you know, rolling out a series as part of the brand identity, there's probably no better exemplar out there mm -hmm. for them to follow because there's some great, great artists that, you know, are you know, are coming up every day, right? That's the point. The point is that you don't have to worry about the pod mark that you couldn't get, which is 100K now, because you've got so many other artists that are coming up every day. You just have to 
you know, it's like that 10,000 hours thing, right? You got to spend time, you got to watch, you got to look, you got to see how they manage and build the community, the ecosystem, and how they look at scarcity, right? And yeah. how they handle utility, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been, you know, beating the drum on is how do you drive utility, right? It's great to be a one of one artist. It's great to be a collectible artist, right? But how are you ensuring that your constituents and your community and ecosystem are benefiting from the fact? Because at the end of the day, if you have a thriving ecosystem where the artist, the collector, the curator, right, the staker all benefit from it, guess what? You're going to have a very, very successful partnership, right? Yeah. And um, I think that's super important for people to start thinking like that because in a digital world, stickiness is the most important thing. In the traditional world, it's all about inertia, right? It's about the middleman. Um, and it's, you know, it's about the rent seekers, but in a digital world, you got to get eyeballs on your, on your, um, you know, works and you've got to make sure it's completely frictionless. So that's, that's key. I mean, the first thing that connected you and I, um, was I, I was, it was kind of after that moment where I was like, you know what, I'm not going to be able to get some of these larger works that I really, uh, eventually one day would be able to aspire to. And honestly, the the bear market in NFTs has been a huge opportunity for me as a collector to be able to pick up some things that I never would have been able to get before, like low mint Hackatow, some Beeples, you know, the opportunity that people like you, con- you're constantly talking about how people still aren't looking at individual artists with kind of this run up of community avatars. And I completely agree, you know, being able to get on, you know, the artifact and Fiwo drop and see it go way up and now being able to see um, some of those, even those shoes just like up for grabs to be able to grab some more is just so, it's so crazy. Um, but the way we got connected was I had purchased um, uh, Jaden's, you know, his piece, the, those early days. And I know that you had bought one from a resale, uh, his second ever piece. Um, and and so we're fellow Jastronauts. And I really, you know, <laughs> I really, uh, I really have loved being able to kind of be in that shadow of years though just after you had picked up that piece and watching kind of the moves that you've made in the space um since march i've always really respected you and it's so cool to also kind of see you know with someone like Jaden who had such success selling 80 eth uh, in NFTs in one day. And then like you've talked about, though, he's been really careful about the way that he pursues the space after. And those artists, the artists in the space that are really thoughtful about the way they're moving um, and see this as a long game are going to just, they're just going to do wonders um, for like the potential that they can bring. You said it, man. I mean, I think the people, it's very clear to see, right, from March to now, Right. As we had the bull and then we had this little bit of a lull in between, you can see which artists went about, you know, dropping the price on their works. Right. Um, And trying to move their work kind of in more volume versus the ones that have held served and have basically said, no, this is a great opportunity for me to network better. Yeah. Right. And to build a bigger brand and a better brand. They're the ones that are going to really be successful over time. Right. It's really ensuring that you really value yourself and you value your brand, and you continue to sort of ensure that that is front and center for every interaction that you have 
it carries a lot of weight. So what do you see in um, like when you became extremely bullish on NFTs? And I'm sure um, your your bullishness in 2019 was probably more of like a let me seed some of this stuff and maybe I'll lose it. Maybe I won't until today where you I'm sure you're much more like, you know, what's you know where we're heading in this space now. But when you look at NFTs and specifically because you're so amazing at collecting individual artists, uh, NFT and collectors. Um, what do you see as the power of NFTs? Um, is it the branding and like the limited, like the supply demand economics or what really, what really fascinates you about them? Oh, I think it's, first of all, it's the terrific artists, right? I mean, yeah. if not for the great art, I mean, NFTs would be a thing, but not really interesting, right? I mean, yeah. I think it's the amazing artists that are in the space first and foremost, right? The pedigree and the great talent that we have and the ecosystem at large, right? Um, I think Punk4156 had a, a great tweet today about just how people in crypto are so much nicer than traditional people, right? Just think about that for a second. These are a bunch of anons, right? You, you hardly know who I am. I don't know who you are. You don't know who many of the people on the phone, phone on the um, Twitter spaces line are. Yeah. But they all have respect for each other, right? They all have a, a modicum of, um, you know, just, you know, absolute respect, right? Even though you don't know the individual, right? And that is something that you rarely, if ever, see in the traditional world, which is kind of amazing if you think about it, right? So we're all in these black boxes, but we're communicating. So I think it's that aspect of, you know, one, great artistic talent, you know, two, this sort of passionate community that's kind of gravitated around this, you know, central nervous system of, you know, this whole concept of democratization and decentralization of, you know, finance as well as art. And it's the idea of frictionless, right? I keep using that mm -hmm. word over and over mm -hmm. again. And if you think about traditional art, there is such a complex set of maneuvers. There is a huge adder that goes on top of, you know, physical art when you buy it from a, um, an auction house as an example, right? You have none of that stuff in crypto, right? It's, you know, I can be anywhere, anytime, always on and buy what I want, right? Yeah. Nobody's telling me that the store is closed, right, at five o'clock, right? Nobody's telling me that I've got to speak to Bob or Betty or Freddie to go get that piece, right? It's it's the fact that I am completely 100% autonomous and able to make and drive that transaction, and I'm able to do it with my own wallet, and, you know, with a click of a button is very powerful, right? Mm -hmm. So that's huge. Um, so artists, it's the frictionless nature of the uh, the buy and the purchase, right? And it's the fact that it is super early. And if you think about it, right, and a lot of artists get pretty frustrated, right, because they're like, you know, I've been here three months. I haven't had a sale. Guess what? X Copy went through that as well. Yeah, right. right? You yeah. may not believe it, but Hackato <laughs> went through that as well. Yeah. I, I went through that. I talk right? all the so time about yeah, Fawocious exactly. and Victor, He since he's in here, just like, just I, I always, in, on this show, I've talked to several people about just like, he, he talked about it in his interview, how his work a year ago was selling for $800 for a painting. And now he just sold, uh, you know, he sold in, in Christie's for 400000 a piece. It's like, you just, like you, you're saying, like you have to you have to see the potential in yourself and look long term like and and I think even uh, there's always going to be those major success stories but you you're never going to get success overnight it's all about the work and the drive you put in oh man it's passion hi Fiwo by the way <laughs> yeah I mean look I, I was one of the five purchasers right at uh, the auction yeah. so mm -hmm. I'm telling you um, I'm blown away right it, it's it's kind of it's kind of cool you know 
Theo is one of those people that, you know, she gets lost. He gets lost in his work, right? He gets totally lost in his work mm -hmm. because, you know, I remember a tweet from a few days ago where, you know, he was working on a piece and then it was all of a sudden 5 a.m., right? And it's, it's like that passion, you know, and that kind of hustle that you put into your work, you know, day in and day out where you lose track of what you're doing because you're consumed by the art. It, it actually shows in the work that Victor puts out, right? I mean, you can actually see it. And I'm just... I'm blown away when I see different pieces, like the piece that Anonymous X got yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. It's, they, they're just captivating, right? You can look at any of the pieces and you can feel the pain, right? Or you can feel the joy. And uh, I think that's the, that kind of inspiration that you see um, in digital works in many ways too, because you've got this broader ability to be able to animate to some extent as well and continue to push the boundaries of, you know, how it can be utilized and the utility that links to it. I, I love that you said that, and I'm curious now, I have to ask you, because I know for myself, I was not a traditional art world kind of guy. I didn't go to galleries, but now, you know, I, I've spent a lot of money, like I've got original Corey Van Loo painting right now, and I've got, you know, Jaden's first painting that he ever did, and I, I'm starting to really love, you know, like starting to love painting, but a lot of that's because of the experience of seeing these artists and being able to be so involved in their journey that you never had before if you walk into a gallery. Were you a tradition? Have you always been into art and like traditional art, or is this something that's newer to you as well? Always been into art, um, you know, but I, I would say I wasn't, you know, dabbling with what I would call the high end of the market. I used to be at the mid end of the market for the most part uh -huh. because the art game in the traditional world is very, it's, it's kind of dicey on the high end, you know, <laughs> to be quite honest, it's, it really is about who you know and mm. how you have access to the works that you want to buy. And that really disintermediates a lot of people. It really turns a lot of people off, frankly. Right. So there's like a, a gatekeeper approach that's not always great. Right. Now you look at the newer, you look at some of the auction houses, that are becoming more digitally native, right? Um, Sotheby's, Christie's, and others, there's a clear transformation happening within those organizations. They're starting to build entire groups of people and individuals that focus on this digital native experience and are therefore, you know, kind of transitioning from that old world way of thinking to more of the, you know, the crypto and digital native approach, right? So it's kind of nice to see that because, you know, it wasn't always the case, right? It was a very stodgy, you know, kind of, you know, old person network, if you will, back in the day. Yeah, and, and it's interesting seeing kind of that movement from that first sale with like the people and now like how many, just there's like massive amounts of sales like going through Christie's and uh, and Sotheby's now. It's just insane to see kind of that transformation. And, I've, uh, and I, I agree with you. I think they're going to be kind of playing that middle ground for a while where they're putting more and more in but i think eventually we'll see this you know become a much um a, a much more standalone like a bigger part of their company is working with this digital art I mean, hang on let me know when you're ready
Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, oh, I, I'm sorry. I thought you said hold on, and I think maybe did oh, you say I, right? I said, I said bang on. Oh, bang on. Okay, sorry. All right, so let's go ahead and move on. I want to talk about something else that kind of um, kind of interplays how, and one thing that I think we both can really love and respect is the interconnection that we're starting to see between like DeFi and NFTs, and I really think that's one of the things that's going to start pulling some of these um, maybe native crypto people that haven't made that jump yet into the, the art world, and and I think that also it's fascinating to hear that maybe that you had a little bit more of um, you, you just enjoyed traditional art more. So it was probably easier for you to make that jump into crypto art as soon as it started um, coming around because you valued kind of that the art and the the personal journey of art before maybe people like me who it took a little longer to get to that point where um, I was buying more of like art because of um, an investment and as a collection. And so one thing I'm curious about that I think we're going to continue to see is the intersection into the metaverse. And I'd like to just to kind of hear where how you feel like that journey is developing, because there's so much happening around these artworks, and you're starting to see museums in the metaverse. And I'm just curious what you see what you see in the future with the metaverse, especially now, like Facebook saying they want to become a metaverse company in the next five years. It's just really fascinating there's a lot um going on in that in that niche right now so i'm curious your thoughts on it yeah you know it's it's super early is the only thing i would say right i think the key thing is for you know open platforms and you know the ability for individuals and you know avatars to be able to sort of interrupt and interact and move around into these worlds is going to be hugely important right so the whole aspect of, you know, open borders within the metaverse is important. What you can't do is you can't build, you know, glass walls around your metaverse, right? You can't build a platform that only appeals to a certain set of individuals. Because if you do that, you're just building a class system like you do in the real world, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. But if you do it borderless, open, decentralized, and truly think of those as your, you know, your ethos, I think you have a, 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 there's a great chance for a platform to succeed, right? But I think it's incumbent on many of these platform companies to think about how they do that with open borders and really with the fungibility of characters and avatars being able to move around these universes and metaverses without, you know, any constraints, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where I think you're going to see some problems. And it's like, if you think about the NFT platforms today as well, right? They're kind of a superposition of the same problem. They all have their own approach. They all have their front end, right? And none of them integrate very yeah. well, right? OpenSea does to some extent, right? But you, you, you want to see better discovery, better aggregation. And in the same way, if you think about the metaverse experience, you want to have that integration between, you know, different metaverses. You want the fungibility of characters to be able to move around and experience, set up these galleries, because otherwise you're going to just build these little, you know, glass castles that, uh, you know, you'll get some people attending and, you know, you're going to have these fragmented sort of experiences versus what could be a really fantastic experience if you open it up. Right. So I worry about companies like Facebook, right? <laughs> I absolutely yeah. do because, you know, Facebook operates on a completely different set of principles, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's not that they're bad or bad intending. It just turns out that that's, you know, a, a lot of the data analytics and, uh, uh information they glean gets used in that way. Right. 
so when you think about the metaverses, I think the more you can lower that, um, you know, that concern and barrier and make it open, I think the more powerful it's going to be and uh, the better the experience for the community. And at the end of the day, you're only going to succeed because the community decides to adopt it, right? It's not because That's what I love, you yeah. have the greatest tech or you have the greatest graphics, right? Uh, like Somnium Space is an example, right? It's because you have the best community interaction and open, open approach. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree 100%. I think the metaverse is kind of the next, um, everyone wonders, like, back in the day when MySpace was competing with Facebook, you know, it was like, what social media platform is going to be come the monopoly. But now it's almost like this race, I believe the metaverse is kind of that like social that next social media outlet where we're able to interconnect. And um, it's just crazy seeing the evolution of clubhouse and now twitter spaces and, and and it's happening right now right like we're we're seeing like this more peer-to-peer one thing that you mentioned earlier that i absolutely love and what i'm truly like i could start a podcast and say my name and, and go about it and not have kind of that anonymity anonymity but being able to crypto for the longest time um especially during the the beginning stages of crypto with like silk road always the anonymity got um such negative light and it's so cool now to be able to see such good actors in the space and being able to have anonymous profiles and really drive forward a a positive narrative around um anons and i just think like the the metaverse will have anons and it will have real people uh that you know you know show who they are but it's such a cool thing to see like this the evolution of how we interact and how we um communicate and um are able to connect in in such a in such a new way and it's just crazy to think about like how that continues to evolve oh it's 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 super super impressive right and in many ways people i think have their guard down more (laughs) In, in a metaverse, right? Because they, they don't have any of the constraints that they would in the physical world. And they tend to leave a lot of their baggage. Hopefully people are real, as real as they really are. But, you know, in many ways, it does lower the barriers. It does allow people to interact more freely. I think there are a lot of people who get along so much better, you know, in the digital world. If you think about just Twitter spaces as a microcosm of this, you can see how, you know, people interact and how great the conversation is. And then you see on Twitter itself how people interact with each other you know, it's just super positive vibes. And you, you add that sort of, you know, person to person dimension, you know, with, you know, avatars and PFPs, and just the power that brings it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It really is cool. And, um, you know, I can't wait for that, that experience to get to a point where, you know, you truly are, you know, with a bunch of, you know, people like minded people in these communities and experiencing art together. Um, in massive galleries, right, and seeing all this fantastic art from some of the greatest artists in the world in um, in the metaverse. I mean, it's 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 something to behold. It's it's incredible, and it's just it kind of gets you. Uh, it, it just kind of makes you tingly thinking about like how early we are and like i always say uh i feel like a thing a thread that constantly comes back up in um these interviews and in this podcast are just like how early we really really are and even like if you're just listening in uh into a podcast like this or live on twitter spaces like and you're like how do i make it how am i gonna be successful like you're so early and there's so much potential in being early into 
seeing like a trend in something and that you just have to find your own way of making your imprint, right? And that's one reason why my my profile uh, is a gutter cat is because like I, I really believed in that community very, very early on. And I was with them when no one else was really talking about gutter cats. And so I was like, I'm going to be with this community for, for the long run and I'm going to make myself gutter cat and we'll ride it out. And so one thing that I think a lot of artists um, and new people new that are just learning about crypto, uh, they ask themselves like, how do I get started? I see, I, I want to be able to make money. I want to be able to invest. I know you probably have a lot of artists come to you as a bigger collector saying, what do I do to get noticed? And so uh, we're going to do just do a couple more questions, but this is definitely one that I want to end on, which is just what advice do you give to um, whether it's an NFT artist or an investor like myself about like, what do you do to, to be successful and continue to make your mark in, in this space? Oh, I'm so happy that you asked that question, right? I, I actually had a tweet storm I did about this maybe a month and a half ago. And it's this concept of a crypto pyramid, right? Investing pyramid. And at the lowest level of the pyramid, like, let's say you're an artist and you're, you know, you, you've made your first sale, right? Um, one thought would be, you know, convert some of that into, you know, stables, right? Uh, and by stables, I mean, you know, US dollar coin, you know, perhaps Tether, perhaps, you know, some other stable, right? Um, put some of that aside, right? Keep it aside. Some of it you want to be able to buy things like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And it's all about, you know, dollar cost averaging, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got to start somewhere. And, you know, so you create that lowest end of the pyramid, which is the, I won't touch it, but I'll continue to harvest and build it, right? And the next layer up in that pyramid, you start looking at, you know, perhaps yield strategies, right? You look at areas where you can, you know, put US dollar coin, you can put Tether, you know, you can put um, all of these different sort of uh, stables into a DeFi protocol and start earning yield on it. You want to get to a point where you have enough built into layer one and layer two, where you are now able to start to take yield out and actually use that for your living expenses, right? And, and I got to tell you, right, crypto goes in cycles. And you know, DeFi has had its ups and downs. Bitcoin and Ethereum have had their ups and downs. But if you look at the long arc, right, over a four-year period, you are never down, right? So that's, that's something to think about. That means that no matter where you invest in the cycle, if you have a longer than a four-year time horizon, which is effectively called a low time preference, you're always going to come out on top, right? That's important. You can't get freaked out by the, the zigs and zags. You have to be able to invest for the long haul. You have to be able to think about this as a long game, right? So I, I would say look at that investable pyramid approach because it really allows you to not worry about the day-to-day, -day, right? Oh my gosh, this crypto dropped 30%. Okay, big deal, right? Because I'm going to dollar cost average. I'm going to get more if I add some today, yeah. right? So you, you got to think about it that way. And that's why I say start with that base layer that's completely based on a stable set of currencies, right? Like keep it in you know, crypto converted US dollars, right? Because that gives you yield, right? And so I would suggest people actually, um, you know, if you're starting out, take a look at that tweet. It's, it's. I think I may have it pinned actually in my um, my Twitter feed, but it's, um, you know, it's a pretty good place to start because it gives you an idea of then how you sort of add on risk, right? The next stage as you get this yield is buying other NFT art, right? You know, investing in other artists, investing in protocols, right? And earning income and earning growth from those protocols 
And then you start to get into very, you know, risky, you know, risky sort of areas at the top of the pyramid, um, you know, which is where you put the 5% of your money that you really are, you know, you're, you're playing, you're playing a, a lottery at that point, right? But yeah. you're taking some big shots, but you're, you're hoping to hit it big, right? So yeah, I love that. Oh man. I just love that because I think you're hundred percent right. And looking back, like the way that you just phrased that is kind of what I've like I looking back at what I've done is kind of what I've done without like purposefully like strategizing it. But, um, but I think you're right. And it's so funny though. Now looking at your like top that 5%, that seed, like we were talking about earlier, that was probably your NFT stash, right? Like a couple years ago. But now since you own that, it's turning into lower down in the pyramid because you're going to be able to start yielding with some of that art you have. You nailed it. You nailed it. Right. And, you know, all of these things become, you know, it's funny. They all work in cycles. Like the the good thing about art, unlike, you know, tokens, is that if you look at the long horizon, right, I I guess it's probably uh, the 1700s, right? The art market's been in a bull market since the 1700s. I mean, think about that for a second. Nothing has been in a bull market for that long. Right. I mean, but it's been in a bull market since then. Right. Uh, they don't call it the renaissance for nothing, right? And when you think about what you're doing in digital art today, it's the freaking renaissance again, right? It's it's massive. It's huge. So just, you know, when you think about that and you think about it from two months and, oh, my gosh, I can't sell. And, you know, I've been here for two months and, oh, woe is me. That's the complete wrong attitude, right? I mean, it's it's like you're asking for trouble, right? In this space, think about brand building. Think about how you launch your next series, right? Think about what's uniquely you and how you continue to drive and build that community and the ecosystem and the utility around what you do. And it's amazing what could happen, right? It's amazing. Treat yourself as a brand. That's yeah. what's super important. Love it. Barat, thank you so much for coming on the Crazy About Crypto show. We're going to start to switch over into the community corner. I'm going to take a little more of a backseat. If you have a question for Barat, please hit that request button. Come on stage and ask your question. This guy, I know you had said in the intro that you weren't going to live up to your intro, but I've just been in, like captivated the entire time you've been talking. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. And I'm so excited that you're here. Um, So let's go ahead and turn it over. And we're going to let the audience come up and we're going to start Community Corner. All right. Uh, All right. The first person that I have coming up on stage uh, actually had asked a question that I was about to just ask you um, on my Twitter status that's pinned at the top. But since he had the courage to come on stage, thank you so much, Digipedia. Go ahead and ask your question. Thanks and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, uh, Bharat. I'm a huge fan of your pyramid and the way you have fun with all the art and the way you explain your reasoning behind your collecting certain art. That really goes to show that it's not exactly you spending your ETH on anything that you like, but having a really structured approach. That is something that is a huge takeaway for me. My question is, uh, the way I see you value and the way I see you having a list of people that you value others i wanted to ask is how can newer artists like myself or a lot of other people who are coming in uh, i've like i've been for three more four months now like this time frame or have been around for this time frame how can i break into the blue chip uh, circle say or the blue chip uh, area of the pyramid how and up to that area such that it becomes a safe investment or a safe bet for someone like yourself that mm. is something that i'm really keen on doing 
Yeah. Hey, Digipedia. Great question, right? And, and I think it's it's like I discussed and described before. It really is about brand building, and it's about building a series and continuing to really be passionate about what you do, right? Um, the reason I bring up the names that I do, right, and the reason I'm so bullish is because they have a track record that spans a period of time, right? It's easy for me to look at and say, hey, uh, you know, X copy, right? Three plus years, solid track record, great work, right? Really manages scarcity, has that unique DNA. I think that's very important for everybody to think about, right? You, you mentioned you've been in the space for about four months, I think, if I got it right. Um, so think about how the next three years are going to develop for you, right? That's what you should think about. You know, if you put in the time, the passion, the energy, and you put your DNA, your personal Digipedia DNA into what you're building, people are going to recognize it, right? They're going to say, wow, this is great. I really love what he's built, right? And I want it to be a part of my collection. And, you know, it becomes pretty much viral after that, right? So it really is about putting that time, energy, and passion into it. And uh, good things happen. Good things will happen. I guarantee it, right? It, it just is about, you know, putting those 10,000 hours in, right? Keep keep hustling. Do not give up. You know, do not get frustrated. It is a long game. And I, as I mentioned, those artists that I talk about a lot are the artists that have stood the test of time. That's why I bring them up, right? Because I'm trying to actually, in many ways, what I try to do, if, if you follow me on Twitter, is I try to motivate people, right? Because I think that, you know, it's important in early days in embryonic situations like uh, crypto and in NFT art, where you have to really kind of bring the community along and you have to be very positive, right? And that positive energy really is viral. And uh, one of the things that I find very, very um, impactful and where I see a lot of success is when artists, you know, prop up other artists, right? In other words, they talk about other artists and how great those other artists are and put them before themselves. It is amazing to me how successful those artists then become on their own right as they promote, right? Because it, you know, it, it changes the dynamic of how a collector looks at what an individual is saying if they're positioning somebody else's art. Mm -hmm. To me, that's huge. That's very powerful because then I go back and I say, man, this person has over and over again is recommending you know, these three people or those four individuals, right? And this great art. And I see a pattern across the work. Let me go spend, you know, 30 minutes looking at their work as well, right? And it's amazing how that sort of uh, comes into being and it really creates this sort of um, viral effect. It's also really fascinating that you brought that up. I think that was an amazing answer. The thing that I loved that you said is just like constantly bringing up other people, right? Like, like you're, if you're always, if you're always looking up, you're not going to be able to build a strong enough base to build yourself up, right? Like that's what, something that Fawocious, you know, that I've constantly talked about on this show is that he constantly, every single big artist that I've had on my show has had some sort of interaction where Fawocious has kind of helped them or they've kind of interconnected and helped each other out. And so building that community and building that base before you're big, you know, you don't, don't expect to, to collab with someone that's already made it find the next wave and get connected with them 
I, I completely agree. All right, we've that's, got that's, that's what it's about. It's yeah, and I think the community aspect is so important, and I think that's something that I've realized lately too. You see some of those crypto punks that have really made um, a name for themselves, but they're they're connected in the space with the others that have done the same, and they've they've kind of built this whole brand around the crypto punks together. And I think there's going to be studies based on kind of what they've done, but it's really fascinating and cool to think of. And I think that the next communities that are successful are going to kind of have that as well. All right, so let's bring up uh, Hot Dog Nation. He had a question. Hey, hi, guys. Good to be here with you all. And yeah, thank you so much for you know, sharing your knowledge. Thank you, Bert, especially for your you know, pyramid model. So I'm more of a collector, right, an NFT collector. So recently I came across this old Japanese artist, you know, it's probably in his 60s, you know, who's trying to make a living by selling art. And I'm just thinking, you know, his art is so good but how can I actually help him to get a word out? You know, he's finally, it's gaining traction very slowly. You know, he means only one art per day and it's picking up, but how can I help him or how can we as a community help him? You know, I'd love to, I'd love to find out more about the artist. If you want to just, you know, maybe drop them into a mention, um, but let, let's kind of raise prominence, right? Mr. Delbo went through something similar, right? He'd retired. And then, um, you know, the story is that, you know, I, I forget if it was a, a son or a friend, you know, requested that he come back and get into the NFT space and he's been killing it, right, for the last 18 months. So I think it's, you know, getting them exposure, bringing him into the community, right, exposing the community to the art and, um, you know, really starting to stand a showcase, you know, what he can do. I think that would be very powerful, right, sharing some of his old art and some of the current art that he's, you know, he's building every day, uh, creating every day, I think would be a, a great way to start, right? At least get that viral effect going. Right. I just want can I just mention his name down here? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's Goro Ishihata. So if you go to my profile, you'll see me like pushing up his work all the time. It's G-O-R-O-I-S-H-I-T-A, Goro Ishihata. I've got it written down. And feel free to ping right. me later and, you know, happy to take a look as well. And I think that... Thank you so much, Bert. That's amazing. I think that just goes to show, you know, when you're working to help build someone else up, it just goes to show people respect that a lot more than coming up and saying, hey, look at what I'm doing. Look at this. Look at, you know, try and build yourself up. So great. Thanks for coming up on, on stage and doing that. And it just goes to show the power of like, when you really care about someone and care about that community, it, it uh, now Brock is going to go look and, and maybe he'll end up buying something. Maybe not, but you know, you never know what happens by just caring about people. So I, I loved that. Thanks for, for that um, kind of that moment. All right, Stan, um, you've got a question. Uh, yeah, I wondered, what do you think is most underestimated by a NFT project right now? Do you think it's the community, the marketing, or the utility of a project? Oh boy, what a great question. I think it's all three things that you just named, right? I mean, it really is that ecosystem effect. Um, so it, it, you've got you've to, gotta one, you know, have the right, um, you know, enablers for the community to buy into it, right? So the utility is super important. And how you build and drive that utility and the sticky factor from it um, is what the community is going to basically, you know, pull together on and really use as a reason for, you know, driving up the value or, you know, purchasing the art. So I think it's all of those things, right? I wouldn't put one above the other. It's just a sequence of things that you kind of have to, 
you have to it's build. It's like a circle. You, you mean like it. a circle? Yeah. You keep iterating, right, till you get it right. And I think there's some really great examples, right? Um, I, I love the recent. I, I, I talked about it today. I love the recent Tom Sachs Tom Sachs Rocket Factory, right? It just you know like the approach that they've taken on building, you know, how you collect the different parts of the rocket to assemble a full rocket. And then once you do it, you launch it, and they actually physically launch it, they videotape it, and then they send the NFT to you after it's launched and comes back to Earth, right? That's so cool. And then there's- I mean, course, it gives such a reason to collect all the pieces. Exactly. It's, you don't just want one, you want to make a rocket. It, that's exactly right. And then you've got the branding that's on each of them, so it appeals to people. So you know, you've got the, the McDonald's fanboys, you've got the Atari fan fangirls, you've got, you know, yeah, you've got the different communities, so it, it's all part of brand building and community building. And I think the same goes fun. for partnerships, right? Like if you want to get a bigger audience, partnerships are a great way to... Very much, very much so. Absolutely agree. An ecosystem is about the platform, but it's also the partnerships, right? So it's it's entirely how you, you, know, you engage these different communities together. It really, you know, you, you look at a lot of these avatars and these PFP projects, and they're all like pinned against each other. What they should be doing is, how do we make all of our projects better, right? And then you have this amazing flywheel effect, right? How do the crypto punks get together with the, you know, the the apes, right? And get together with the mebits and have a Actually good sort of Actually doing community. that, right? Yeah. Like uh, I, I saw Deadheads trying to partner with like all the projects that were down with partnering with them also for like the, like they launched like a trailer during the launch of them. With like That's all right. the projects in it, the cats, the apes, even the bonsai tree was there. That's exactly right. Thanks, Sam, for coming up and and uh, chatting too. This is the, some of these questions have been so so amazing. These some of the community questions coming up. Let's do one more. Uh, if you have a minute, Barat, we've got Chantel. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me up and um, thank you both for this room. I've gotten so much value out of this so far. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, I wanted to ask, I know how you mentioned a few times how important it is for artists to find utility for their collectors and sort of help them benefit from investing in you. And, um, you know, as an artist in NFTs, there's obviously this creativity angle where, um, you know, the best thing we can do is be consistent with our work and passionate about what we do. And, um, you know, only put out work we're proud of. But I think obviously there's another element to it um, from a business angle that a lot of us are struggling with where, um, you know, what exactly do those first steps look like um, to you where we can create um, value for our investors? Ooh, that's that's a really good one, right? Um, it, it, the value for the investor I think to me, a lot of that comes from that utility model that I spoke about um, earlier and actually I tweeted about today, right? I, I think there is this this idea of, by the way, Fiwo does a great job of this and I, I mentioned Trevor Jones as well. You know, if you buy art and there's some kind of ongoing way that you reward a collector, it actually has a, it has this like, you know, virtuous cycle model that happens, right? Because it's unexpected, but it's, it's amazing the impact it has on a collector, right? Because it's it's one of those things that's like, you know, wow, you know, that person thought of me, right? Um, you know, and gave me this drop, right? Even though I just purchased a one-of-one -one piece, which was purely a financial transaction. And I think that that idea 
of, you know, that approach in the digital world is super important because the cost of being able to do that is, is not very high, right? So as you think about that and you think about the brand and you think about how you are building utility into your work, you know, think about those things because it really does bring the community on as well, doing collaborations, right? Thinking about, you know, what your, um, you know, what the give back is going to be, whether it's a drop. And by the way, it doesn't always make sense. If you're struggling, if you're just starting out, like you just mentioned, you know, sometimes it's more important that you establish yourself, establish your brand and build a series that has a logical link together with that core DNA that you have and that passion that you have is probably the thing that you want to get down, you know, squarely, you know, for the first three, four, five months, right? Because that is the most important thing, that digital persona that you create around your art, right? How you price, how you drive scarcity, how you, your work sort of embodies and builds upon each other piece is the most important thing. But then you start to think about, hey, how do I differentiate myself, right? In this, in this marketplace with thousands of artists coming in every single day, what am I going to do to set myself apart from everybody else? And that's going to come with utility. It's going to come with, you know, better community building, right? Better networking. You know, do you start your own Twitter space as an example, right? All of these things that are like the softer part of the art world that I think are very important. I think a lot of, a lot of artists that I've found, you know, they're sometimes a little bit introverted, right? Which is perfectly okay, right? But I think even if you do it from a, I don't like to communicate you know, verbally, but I, you know, I'm okay communicating, you know, in Twitter, in a community, in a discord, you know, that may be a way to do it. Right. But these are all, there are all these kind of softer approaches that really help you to sort of build additional value. And you may not see it right away. It takes a lot of, you know, time, energy, and effort to do it. But if you keep doing it, then you start to build an ecosystem and then you start to really see that traction come through. So hopefully that helps to answer the question. It's long winded, but um, it really is, you know, focus on the brand, at first, right? Focus on that unique differentiation, differentiated value, and then focus on utility and you know how those aspects kind of play into the overall approach. Chantel, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, you know, one thing that is constantly seems to be a thread is just that one thing that I'm going to take away from this chat, and um, I hope everyone found a few things to take away, but you, you've mentioned the 10,000 hours a few times, and it just like really resonated with me. Like, it really takes a lot of, um, a lot of work to get to that point that you're trying to reach and achieve. And that 10,000 hours philosophy is just is gonna, from now on, be something that I'm constantly thinking about when building and just like driving towards this next chapter that we're all um, trying to get to. Uh, so thanks, thanks a lot for bringing that up. Because like you said, and I think a lot of the the questions that people have around this space is, is at the end of the day, you have to do the work. You have to do the work or, or it's not going to happen. You, you nailed it, right? And, you know, many of the folks on this line are very successful artists in their own right in the traditional world, right? And they're trying to break into, you know, digital art, NFTs, etc. And the good news is you have a step up because you have that experience of, you know, creating and building, right? But you've got to think about the other aspects when you move into a, a digital world, the approaches that you take to marketing, packaging, pricing, right, scarcity, uh, community building, all become very, very important. So those are things that you have to spend time, effort, and energy on because you no longer have somebody perhaps who was, you know, a broker in prior um, in the prior traditional world. Perhaps you're kind of doing it yourself, right? So you're, you know, I incorporated, right, is what you are. 
And in that situation, there are other soft skills that you have to develop because, and that's where the 10,000 hours come in, right? It's the things that you didn't do before that you now have to do that may be uncomfortable for you, but you're going to have to kind of, you know, grow through that uh, discomfort, right? To some extent, because that's, that's going to be what allows you to get to the next level. Barat, the audience is, it's hard to contain them. I think they're going crazy. It's just been so impactful hearing you speak, and I really appreciate you taking time. I needed to give, I have this little soundbite of an applause, and I've never used it in the middle of a show, but I really think it was uh, it was meant for this moment, because I've I, there's so many things that resonate with me uh, and personally that I've taken away from this chat with you, and I'm sure that a lot of people in this room felt the same way. So I really appreciate you coming on. If you, I know there's quite a few people that didn't hear the whole show, which is why we do this as a as a recorded podcast. So if you miss any part of it, I'll make sure to get it up online. Uh, it'll be a we do have the crazyaboutcryptoshow.com where you can see all of our live uploaded podcasts if you ever miss any of them. Or um, now we're on Apple and Spotify too. And I think uh, one thing that I'm pretty proud of, I think we might be one of the first Anon podcasts uh, out there. So definitely check it out. Um, we're going to keep building this together. Um, if you do not follow Barat for some reason, I don't know why you wouldn't already, but please go and also follow him. Is there anything that you want to plug, Barat, that you you're working on uh, or or uh, something that you'd like to tell everyone about before we end this? Yeah, no, not really, right? Um, I really appreciate you all uh, joining and listening to me ramble, and I appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you so much, Barat. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and I hope um, we'll have to do this again in, in a couple months um, just to check back in because this has been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. <laughs>